In 2021, Talk About It Outdoors partnered with an industry-leading brand that has stamped its name on the outdoor industry. Cruiser Saddles in itself stands on perfection, and with every climb we make, we elevate ourselves above the rest. In addition to a support to our hunting journey, the men and women behind Cruiser believe in the same principles of life as us. Faith, family, and the blessings of being better as they go in every sit. If your desire to pursue your passions one step ahead of the rest, go ahead and get in the best. Check them out on all the socials or head over to their website at www.cruiser.com. That's C-R-U-Z-R.com. And tell them to talk about it outdoors, boys, and Chasing Weekends sent you their way. The journey of life has a unique way of being able to create tried and true friendships as we go. In forming those relationships, oftentimes good things come to follow. Talk About It Outdoors is proudly supported by Cal Hardy of Arrowhead Land Company. Cal is the leading broker over Georgia and is happy to assist you with finding the place where you can call home. With vast knowledge and an understanding of the ever-evolving real estate market and a unique old-school approach to everything he does, he exemplifies what it means to treat others like you'd want to be treated. Don't settle for being just another number in a phone. Choose Cal Hardy for all your land, home, and commercial real estate needs and become a part of his family. We sure are blessed to have him as a part of ours. Find him on Facebook, Instagram, or give him a call at 770-296-2163. Step back to the times when a feed store was more than just that, and the people inside smiled with friendly faces and provided a place for a talk on life, as well as all your essential farm, livestock, and pet needs. Cherokee Feed and Seed located in Ball Ground, Georgia, with an additional location in Gainesville, are the hometown supplier of all your cattle, equine, and pet needs, with the added addition of being able to keep your deer herd healthy with protein and minerals. They also carry an assortment of hunting blinds and gear, and you can rest easy knowing the people that support local ball clubs and children's sports are who your hard-earned money is going to. The people here greet you with a handshake and a smile, and Cherokee Feed and Seed give more than just a product. They give you a welcome that'll make you return time and time again. Stop in next time you're in the area and tell them you're part of the Talk About It Outdoors family. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. 
Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. You ready, Nick? Let's do it. All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live from the Cruiser Saddle Studio. Nicholas Wilson, Alex DeBoard, ready to kick this thing up, knock the doors off of it, light the fires. Deer season's getting closer by the minute, and we are pumped up. I can't tell y'all how excited I am to get this gentleman on tonight. He's a big buck killer, the 2021 Iowa State bow hunting league champion. He's a man among men, and he's going to give us all the details on how he kills all those big bucks. Probably keep a secret or two to himself. He's a great friend of ours, and we can't wait to get this one going. Y'all pull up a chair and sit a while. Nicholas, I got so excited there, I just kept talking. I, didn't, I about ran out of music there for a second. <laughs> That's because we're on deer. Oh, it is. I know. No more turkey talk. Not for a while, anyway. Not for a while. Well, I can tell uh, tell you we've had a great last couple of weeks. GON Outdoor Blast is behind us. We're looking at Birmingham and the headlights. We're going there this weekend. This episode will be in the rear view when we drop it out. We'll already be back home. But the World Deer Expo is going to be a fun, exciting time for us. And, uh, buddy, I, I can't wait to see what it shakes out to be. I think it's going to be good for us to get in another state and um, do our thing. Just like we're going to do it tonight. We're going to get on this big buck hammer. What did that one guy say on that Instagram message? He's a um He hunts in Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> well, I tell you who that was. That was um the owner of Vital Ground Outdoors. Yeah. I talked to him today <laughs> and I told him that uh that this gentleman was coming on with us tonight and he said, "Boys, I, I, I he hunts in Jurassic Park. That's where he's at." And he <laughs> said, "I need to go where he hunts at." But without further ado, uh, I met this gentleman uh Benjamin Simon, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. One of the pro staffers there actually called me, and we were having a conversation about people that were, were would be good for a show. And one of the first names that came up was Rendell, and he uh, he made mention that you 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 haven't heard of him yet. And I had actually saw your bucks and your team from Team Tethered on the uh, bow hunting league, and last year you hammering that giant that you did. I saw you come in on there, so I already knew who you were, but. Got the opportunity to speak with you in the first night. I think we were on the phone for over an hour, bouncing ideas back and forth and stuff. And what a humble approach to everything you do. And and it's a pleasure and indeed for Nicholas and I both to welcome you to talk about it outdoors, Mr. Rendell Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, fellas. You've been doing quite a few of these podcasts as of late. And I got to ask you, have you heard any as much exciting music as you heard tonight when you was doing those podcasts? Did they play a lot of music for you? <laughs> That's the first time. That's awesome. I was getting pumped up over here. Some hype crowd stuff. That's awesome. Well, for everything that you've been doing the last few years, uh, people that don't know you, you, you've really kind of been behind the scenes. You've not been a guy that's been in the limelight. And 
you know, speaking with you the first time that I did, it gave me a little insight into your your demeanor and the way that you like to do things. And now that you're getting out there and you're starting to share some of these stories, I tell you what, people's going to take a lot more notice to you than you probably realize. Yeah, it's uh, gaining a lot of popularity pretty quick. I'm more of the type of guy that wants to feel like he nobody. I want to know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about it. So I was just in the background, uh, just trying to learn the craft and trying to get better. And then when I felt like I was there to contribute, then I felt like then I could pop on the scene and try to mentor some people, share some knowledge and uh, just get out there in the hunting world and try to help people out. Do you think, um, well, let's, let's rewind here for a second. Cause there's all kinds of people that don't even know who you are. And why don't you tell them a little bit about who you are, Rendell and where you're from? I, we don't have to go all the way back to the military days. You've traveled to three quarters way around the world. And I know you wasn't chasing big bucks when you were in Okinawa. So we, we can leave that far out, but tell them where you're at now and, and why you moved to where you did. Well, my dad was a Marine, so I got to move around a bunch and, uh, Hunting. I'm from down south originally, and man, you just see all the TV shows and everything going on about the Midwest and Iowa and moving around and hunting, and I, I lived in some other states too, and I just decided uh, one day that's I just wanted to move out there, so I just uh, packed up all my stuff, and I picked a town on the map, and I showed up just uh try to get on big bucks up here, and I've been here about 10 years now now did you buy a farm there did you pull a lee lakoski and buy a farm or did you what i mean that's what everybody thinks everybody i heard from today was like oh rendell he's got he's got them pinned up up there he's got a farm he's growing them but i don't think that's quite the story that you're spinning is it my friend no sir i don't have any money i can't afford that kind of stuff i'm broke so i just hunt public land i've hunted public land most of my life because moving around a bunch it's hard to get relationship built and stuff. So you're just bouncing around everywhere. And I actually like hunting public land more than private land by a long shot. So all public land guy, um, just getting, just getting out there and grinding it. Why do you find it funner or more interesting to hunt public land? Uh, it's more of a venture to me and I got unlimited possibilities. I can be aggressive as I want to be. If I, slide up on a buck bed 80 yards away and I blow him out, I can hop into a different bedding area or I can drive three hours and jump on another public land spot and slide up on a buck. So it gives me a lot of uh, leeway. I don't feel like I hold back as much because I can just dive right in there. First sit, try to get it done and surgically remove the buck. And it gives me a lot of area to move around and scout too i like to find as many big bucks as i possibly can so i can be a lot more confident and when i'm going in and jumping around on these deer i don't have to be as cautious because i got a bunch lined up that i would target what do you think what do you think the percentage is of people just packing their bags up and moving to the midwest of whitetail hunt less than one percent yeah probably i heard a lot of guys say they wouldn't do it or uh, there's other factors that guys can't because I try to get my buddies to move out here, but a lot of times their wives or their families there, or their kids got to move out here too, so they don't really want to do it. But for me, it was worth it for me. I just love it. I live to hunt, so I'm I'm glad I did because it's blessed me in life since I have. 
I would say so with the deer that you've been hammering. When you've when you've hunted the public land out there in Iowa, have you noticed? Um, is it have you ran into more out of staters or people that live in state? Um, I usually run into out of staters more than I do local guys because local guys usually got private land or private permission, free permission. I sometimes I find if you get free permission, there's more pressure on that than there is the public land because most of Iowa is privately owned. Do you find that the people from out of state are genuinely pretty nice guys or, or do they kind of set their territory and mark it all up with um, ribbon or whatever else? Uh, I just try to get along with everybody. I talk to guys at the parking lots whenever I see them. I'm super friendly. I don't really run into too much negativity out there. Most of it, I don't know. You get a guy here or there, though, or maybe a local guy doesn't like guys rolling in there and getting on his stuff. But um, most of the non-resident pressure is usually like during the rut anyways. I don't really run into guys really early season or late season. You know, we've had people on before that said that that live in different state that they would rather have someone come in from out of state because they take care of the resource better. They're friendlier. They don't try to bother anybody. They're just there trying to have a good time for that one week. And like you said, it's probably only busy during the rut. And I don't know how much of that you hit during the, the peak rut there. I'm usually tagged out by that. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> All right. So that, that's a good, that's a good segue into it. And we're, we're kind of moving a lot faster than I want to here because I've, I've got a little bit of a, an idea about where you start your season out at. So you're a big buck hammer on public land. Anybody that knows you knows that. What is your strategy where we are right now? We're going into August. What are we doing? I'm getting my trail cameras out, getting my mock scrapes set up for inventory. Um, and I start my cameras out right in the bedding areas that I find. I don't mess around field edges much because I don't want to have to go back in there and shift my cameras. If I do field edges, it's kind of like a new area I don't know, or I might run like a cell cam so I can keep like live feed on it. And then I'll move it. But I like to just pop in, put them right in the bedding areas because I feel like if a mature buck's going to bed there, he's going to bed there year after year all the time because they pick the best bedding. So I'm going to catch him when he shifts in. So I'm going to know what deer shifting in, have my cameras already in the bedding. And I don't have to go in there. Again, I don't like going in early like once september hits maybe the first week i might go in after that i just stay out and then i'm an early season guy i feel like they're way more patternable so i like to get it done early i might go to another state that opens in september just to knock the rust off you can get your kind of system figured out if you got any new gear you can play with it you can eliminate it add it and then when iowa opens it's time to chase the big boys and i get after it with a high level of confidence so you're in you're in the mode of seeking now we're in the seeking phase essentially explain to someone who may not understand how to find a bedding area what what do you use mindset wise when you what are you looking for i usually find i'm looking for the beds themselves so you're just busting you're busting right in there just trying to find a bed yeah i'm diving right in but i've done most of my scouting already i did 200 miles of scouting in postseason already Okay, so through the summer, you're doing a lot of walking so you can get the to the seeking phase. I guess I'm kind of confused with that because if you're if you're getting into September, August and September, and you're going right into, you know, hanging cameras, or you already got those cameras hung. 
Sometimes I already got them out there. I'm just waiting for the deer to show up. Sometimes I won't run cameras in there. I'll just go in to hunt and then scout my way in and just hang and hunt. Um, but I do most of my scouting in the postseason because I can see everything. I can find the beds. The beds are more relatable to actual hunting season instead of like summer beddings, a little different. And I can lay in the beds and I can see out and see what the deer are seeing. And I can look at the wind and the thermals because in most terrain types, bucks bed based on the wind direction. So you can, you'll know, I know what wind they're going to be there on most of the time, but some terrains they don't. You can't really generalize it. There's a lot of scenarios and little details and nuances you have to learn when you get into it, and you can just add it. And uh, some of the bucks I found last year, and I run a lot of soaker cameras too. I just put them up and like now, and then I'll leave them all season. I won't even check them. And then I can see like the dates the bucks moved in and out. And if I catch a big buck coming into that bedding area for like four days in October, I know that he's probably going to do that again. And I can be there if I get the right wind. So I actually already have a hit list. I can verify they're still alive. And then I can find new deer because I usually only scout uh, new places in the postseason. So I can add on to my catalog of places. So I have options to hunt. So you're spending now, wait a minute. Did we have a pumpy brakes moment there? Did you say you lay down in a deer's bed? I was wondering that. Yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> you might be the first person I've ever heard crazy enough to lay down in a deer's bed to figure out. But this is postseason you're talking, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I lay in the bed and I look out to see what he can see, and I'll drop milkweed right at the bed so I can see if he's getting a swirl or the wind might be a little different there. It might be bouncing off a certain terrain feature. And then I can look out at his exit trails and see how high I need to be in the tree and how far away I need to be to kill him. That's a lot of homework. Now, when you're going in there to do those beds, are you only going in those places on certain winds? Postseason? Yes. Or, uh, yeah, postseason. I just go in there whenever I can get it. I just go. Okay. I don't care about blowing a deer out then. He's usually in his wintering range or he's got seasons over by then anyway. So, and you also said that you start doing your mock scrapes at this time. Yeah, that's correct. Are I you, use them for inventory. Are you leaving those just on the outskirts of that bedding area? Yeah, I usually put them about where I'm going to hunt about that hundred yards range. I like to be that hundred to 80 yards range away from the bed. Okay. Well, that's dang interesting talking about. I've, I've never thought about that. Get in there and actually get in and see what that deer can see. But the homework that you're putting into that, that's, that's pretty interesting stuff. That definitely makes for it. But uh, what do you think the most, I guess the most key piece of knowledge you've learned laying in those beds is? What is, what is that one thing that sticks out in your mind that you've learned from that? Guys hunt too high in the tree. I'm only hunting 8 to 12 feet on average. If you get too high, that buck can look up and he can see you in the skylight. How, how high were you when you shot that buck last year? Nine feet off the ground. When you're Describe, a, because most of our listeners are from the south, describe what a bedding okay. area may look like in the Midwest versus something in the south, because you've, I'm sure you've hunted in the south being from here. And when most of our listeners probably think of pine trees and a thicket, um, some briars and things like that, but it's probably a little different for the Midwest. Is that correct? 
Uh, there is some bedding like that up here. It just depends on the terrain. We got a lot of diversity. I can hunt hill country, river bottom, CRP, uh, just straight ag. I can hunt marsh, swamp, and I can hunt mixed ag woodlot. So I try to go do it all, and I can learn how the bucks bed in each different terrain. And like swamp and marsh bedding, they don't rely on the wind as much. They're more rely on noise when you're coming through like cattails and heavy brush. They can hear you coming, and then they'll blow out. And then hill country, they rely on more sight, the wind over the back, and the thermals coming up. So it, it just depends on what terrain type you're in. Down south, you're more like, well, there's mountains there too. So you could have that thermals, wind over the back, leeward ridge. So if the ridge is running north and south and you got a west wind, he's going to be on the east side of the ridge. So he's got the wind coming over him and he's got the thermals coming up to him. And he's going to be right in that wind tunnel where that wind over the top and the thermals meet together and it swirls. Like they call it the military crest, the upper one third, usually he'll be in there. But sometimes they'll be in like a thermal hub where all the thermals dump in to the bottom and the wind swirls real bad. A lot of mature bucks like to get down in there because they can smell multiple ridges at once. That's going to be my next question. Where do you see most of the mature bucks bedding at in those in those bottoms, the low line areas? Usually up here, when it's a heavily pressured place, they like to get in the thermal hubs or they'll get far back on the ridge. Sometimes they're right by the parking lot where it's, they're looking at the parking lot watching you walk in. I find that a lot of times. And you find somewhere else to walk in at if you find <laughs> that, right? <laughs> Actually, I walk just like everybody else does, and I do a big loop around. Uh, Dan Infall does a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, I've heard Dan talk about He's he's literally watched people from his stand walk in the parking, pull in the parking lot, walk through the opening, walk down the trails, and see a buck get up out of a thicket and walk right to him and, and kill it, right out of, yeah, right be, off the side of a parking lot. Yeah, I'll be driving in the hunt in the afternoon, and guys will be in there, and I'll have big bucks like one eighties just walk right through the parking lot and run out like in the private lane because the guys blew them out. Would you dare to ever walk? Do a bed during deer season? If I have to, I will, because you get the does most of the time. It's kind of like a layering. The does will kind of be out front, push towards the food source a little bit more, and then they'll have like satellite bedding. Then the mature bucks will mostly be back behind that. But sometimes they're solitary animals too. They just live off on their own. It's just a lot of situations, but, uh, you can't be too cautious. If you hold back, you're going to let that deer know you're there because he's going to catch your scent sometime. You got to really push on these mature bucks because they they don't move very far until it's dark. Like they're getting to me five minutes before last shooting light, and I'm 80, 100 yards away from them. So you got to get really tight on these big boys. So if you do walk in that bed there and you feel like you jump him, you stay there. Uh, you can do a bump and dump. Um, Andre DeQuisto talks about that. Sometimes they'll circle out and come back in like 30 minutes later, but you got to know how to set up. You'll have to shift because they'll come in downwind, and they usually J-hook in a certain way, so you got to kind of guess that J-hook are spot on. And sometimes I'll just leave and go to another bedding area that I know on a different buck, and I'll come back to that bed. I'll actually go to the bed he jumped out of, and then I'll lay in that, and I'll look around, and then I'll wait until the wind's the same, and then I'll come right back in and set up on that bed. 
You're putting a lot of intel in this. Well, he's already he's already told taught me something that I never would have thought of with that betting idea, and and I've heard Andre talk about, and and I know Rendell does this too. The bubble, hunt the bubble, and yeah. that that bubble theory. I want him to go into that, but it's something that we've I, honestly we've started implementing. You know, especially hunting public land, the way that we have to hunt, you got to get in there tight. I mean, and, and I don't. I don't necessarily push the envelope quite as far as what you're saying. I guess I get a little more nervous, and I'm getting less nervous the more I see. But, man, you get in that area, you're going to see deer from right off the rip, especially if you've got your wind direction the right way. So talk about hunting the bubble a little bit, Rendell. I know I know you've, that's a, I've heard you say that before, so, so kind of explain that theory. All right, the bubble to me is like that 80 to 100-yard zone. Um I feel like that's his house. It's like you're in your living room uh, eating Cheetos, drinking Mountain Dew, watching TV. You know, you're just chilling. You feel safe. You're secure. You might have some buddies hanging out, and they're all relaxed. Because a lot of times you'll have some does or younger bucks get up way before the mature buck gets there, and they'll pass you. And then I feel like if they don't catch your ground scent or your wind, if you got it perfect, that mature buck's been laying there for hours and he's been smelling everything, seeing and hearing. He feels totally safe in that little bubble. That 175 I shot last year, I was like that 80 yard mark away from his bed. He came straight in like 30 yards straight at me and I was only nine foot up and he never even looked up at me, never seen me like threw all caution to the wind because I was in his living room. And then I shot him at five yards, just smoked him. Wow. <laughs> nine foot off the ground joker was right there in his house and we're i remember the first time i went to the midwest or illinois especially bow hunting got up there and i thought i ain't but 15 foot off the ground there ain't no way in the world i'm gonna get busted wide no they wasn't a deer one now you try that in georgia you got a little bit of a different theory it's, say, a, it's a different story when you're cold. To, yeah i don't want people to listen to this from the south thinking they can go up and get eight or nine feet off the ground and expect to kill 170 here Maybe in downtown Atlanta, but yeah, not, yeah, we not see, the, not seek one style, not, but. not not down in the middle of South Georgia when this thirty out six is ringing off every every day. And that's I've, the, seen some, I've seen some big bucks coming out of Alabama recently. Some guys getting some slammers down there. Alabama has turned on to be a state that is it's 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 the sleeper. I think of the South. Um, a lot of hunting pressure there, but there's been a lot of turn to deer management been a lot of uh, work done by the state and a lot of people there doing just like we do they're letting a smaller buck walk to try to get on a bigger buck now with that being said we suffer the consequence of having very very long rifle seasons in the south our rifle season opens the second or the third weekend in october and it closes january the 15th in our area it is a rifle season that entire period so we really only have five weeks of bow hunting by itself now of course there's areas that we hunt that we can only bow hunt and we go into those and we prefer to hunt those because those deer are being driven off of somewhere else yeah in the midwest when shotgun season's over with in iowa do you ever see now you you're usually done hunting in that state by then right i you can get another bow tag you got you just use your late season muzzleloader tag how successful have you been during that period it's tough. All the public land gets deer driven, deer running everywhere. 
it's usually below zero. So you got to be pretty tough to be out there most of the time. Um, yard up miles and miles away so you gotta do a lot of driving a lot of jumping around just throw everything out of the window that you did early season and rut and just go unless you know where the food source is at. and then you can uh you really got to learn your secondary food sources for late season because deer will get on some stuff besides ag they'll get on uh, duck potato, honey locust pods, uh, some types of briars, uh, Osage orange, which is like hedge apples. They'll actually eat those. So if you can isolate that and find some close to like some overlooked thick bedding areas, you can get on some bucks that way. But you better have some really warm clothes because it's not for the faint of heart. Do you think that uh, the late season there is – is there like a secondary rut that late in the year that you see, or do you see any chasing, or is it pretty much over with, you think, by then? I think the secondary rut in Iowa is during shotgun season. And then late seasons, maybe like some yearlings might come in. I don't really see that much of it, honestly, in late. Bucks are trying to recover, go feed. You can, if you do find a giant buck, he's going to be really patternable because he's just going – back to an early season pattern which is bed to food food to bed and you just got to get in between but they're a lot more jumpier there's no cover so you got to be really spot on with your setups there's a lot of eyes going to that food source so you got to kind of hide yourself really good know how the deer are moving and you can get it done on some giants late season but it's really hard food being the key thing there for for late season for sure What's your favorite day of the year to be in the tree? You're not going to miss it. Any day I can hunt. But <laughs> well, let's let's back if up I, a little. Let's back up a little. If I had to pick two windows, I've noticed a pattern over the last, I don't know, 10 years being up here on trail cameras and hunting in the field. October 10th through 17th, I always get major mature buck movement for some odd reason. I'm still trying to put my finger on why, but that window every year, randomly i'll just have giant mature bucks show up and then the third week in november in my opinion is the best rut hunting week because all the mature bucks are long lining back out hitting really thick bedding areas trying to find the last does in heat and i've killed most of my big bucks in that october window or in that uh third week in november window that's what i was going back up to if or if, for that november rut area are you still hunting those bedding areas I've, uh, they tend to blow out of there and chase those, but if you're in there the first week in November, certain bucks will actually stay in that early season bedding area first because I think they breed all the does in their area before they leave. So if you can get in there and get on them, it'll help you out. But I find it just depends on the buck's personality. Some will leave and some won't. It just depends. You just got to really monitor that. Seems like most of the guys we talk to that's been very successful with big deer love early season. Oh yeah, yeah. they don't like the rut, and or they do like the rut, and they want that in their back pocket if they haven't got it done yet. But it seems like most of them are getting it done early season. How you look back to a Jared Mills or even a Don or, or any of the guys we've talked to, uh, Greg Glessinger, the Drury guys, they they like that late. October that Halloween that Halloween dates their go to. I mean, you hear that the Drury guys talk about that a lot. You hear the Midwest Whitetails talk about it. We've heard, you know, even the Major League Bow Hunters they've made mention of that as well. But we got, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and I guess this is why we are exhausted only a limited amount of time to come out of state. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Illinois to hunt for one week. I'm going to bow hunt Illinois for one week. That's all I got. I don't have any other time. That's the only time I'm going to get to go there. I'm going to pick the date I feel like I can see the most activity and I could have a bonus buck or a surprise buck show up. Any minute you step in the woods in that November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, right around in there through the 10th, 12th, I honestly feel like you can have an opportunity at a deer of a lifetime because you never know where they're going to come from. Now, contrary to everybody's belief that you can kill them, that you're going to kill them early, the guys that hate that, they're exhausted the opportunity to be able to hunt a deer right in their backyard. So they're going to go to those times and they can hunt and be more careful. Me, like you said, got to throw the caution to the wind. What'd you say? No balls, no buck. Yeah, no balls, no bucks. That's my slogan. <laughs> Just get in there and get it done. Like, don't hold back. Don't be scared. You're trying to kill the deer for a reason. Just get in there and get it done. Like, for me, I'm not a big rut hunter. I don't really like it. I love early season because it's way more easier to pattern a buck. He's going bed to food, food to bed, and I could just got to slide in there and get in between. The rut throws a lot of scenarios in there. He could be bedded down with the dough there's new bucks coming in and out uh so you got to change a lot of strategies i find it's more like i'm i'm not a guy to sit in a pinch point or a saddle and hope and pray and wish a big buck comes by me i want to go find him and take the game to them i don't want the deer to hold the cards i want to be holding the cards i so i'm really aggressive even the rut i bounce around a ton i might sit the morning if i don't see anything i get down and i go scout and then I'll set up in the afternoon and hunt somewhere else. I feel like the rut, you're either in the game or you're out of the game. So you need to be really flexible and moving around. The rut, I like to go out of state. That's like my favorite time to go out of state. And I just run around like crazy. And if it happens, it happens. Like I don't, I'm not too concerned with it because I got a lot of time in Iowa to hunt because I'm a resident. Uh, the Iowa bow hunting season is like two months long. So if I bounce out somewhere else, it's just more fun. It's an adventure. And when I'm hunting out of state, I'm not looking for a mondo. It depends on what state I'm in. But if I'm hunting like a state with smaller bucks, I'm just doing it just purely for fun and the adventure. And I might link up with some buddies and just go out and have like deer camp and do some strategy together. And we might bounce out and hunt the same public just for fun. And I'm not looking for a 200. I'm just looking for whatever, 120, 130. Yeah, I'm just out there doing it, man. Just getting it done. Where's your go-to state out, outside of Iowa? I like to hunt anywhere. I actually like <laughs> to go to places I've never been before because it's an adventure. I like to test my skills. I want to be an all-around hunter, so I like to go challenge myself to something I've never even done just to see you know, how I can adjust and to learn because I want to feel like I can go anywhere and just get on deer. So if I had to pick a couple states um, – I like to go to like Ohio, Missouri, Nebraska, uh, Kansas. If you can, when you draw is cool. I mean, but I'll hunt anywhere. West Virginia's a lot. The mountains are awesome. Uh, Kentucky's a sleeper. Like you get out there, Western Kentucky, there's some giant bucks out there. It just depends on what you want to do. I just go to have fun. I think Oklahoma's an overlooked sleeper state too. 
now that you brought it Nebraska, is Nebraska changing some of their non-resident license this year? Did I hear that yeah. today from Tony Peterson? The price went up quite a bit. They're uh, just they're doing like quotas now where you can only get so many tags uh, for certain things. But I just bow hunt, so you can. I it's a little bit more expensive, but you can still buy this bow tag for like two hundred eighty five bucks, I think, for one buck. Okay, just jump in there and go. How is how is hunting Nebraska with the basically all the prairies and plains? Just find some trees. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's almost easier because I'm just looking for trees in some way, like you might get in a river bottom or a draw. But sometimes it's harder because the deer are out in the wide open and you got to watch what you're doing because they can see a long way away. They're using their eyes more than they are like the wind and things like that out there, I think. Let's go. You got one? No, go ahead. Let's go into the saddle talk. When did when did you realize that the saddle game for you was going to be the the go to? Well, I'm six foot eight, so when I'm sitting in a tree stand, I look like a giant. And because uh, you are a giant, get... Randall, I know you don't just look like it. <laughs> my knees get really above my waist, really bad because the seat post on the tree stands are so short, and then it kind of messes with my sciatic nerve. So I get really uncomfortable fast, and I move around a lot, and. Uh, the angle of a lot of these trees out here is some of them are severe. So it's kind of hard to get some tree stands in certain types of trees I'm hunting. Uh, I don't really like the big profile on my back when you're going through stuff. Cause I'll go through anything. Like I'm extreme. I'm going to crawl, swim, whatever I got to do to get to a buck. So it likes to catch up on like brush and hang on branches and it's clanging around, making noise. And the buck hears you coming a long ways away, can knock you off balance a little bit if you're climbing ravines. So for me, just like the profile of packing it in. And when I was tree stand mobile hunting, it was before, you know, like the point fives and all these little uh, mobile ones. I'm carrying like the big heavy duty. Like my first one I was carrying around was like 40 pound tree stand, just a Goliath, you know, and I got the old steel sticks. Man, and I'm out there dying because I'm hiking like three miles with like 60 pounds on me. And then as technology's progressed, you know, I've got lighter and lighter. And then the saddles came out. I just love how lightweight it is. Like my whole setup's only like 12 pounds and I can get in almost any tree. I can can sit, lean. I'll even hunt on the ground with the saddle. I'll just hook it on the tree and just lean back in it and use I'll clear the ground off so I can walk really quiet and it just keeps me comfortable. So my back pain went away. I can sit from dark to dark. I can get really crazy with my setups because I set up and stuff people would never dream of setting up. I'll even uh, strap trees together to make it so it can hold my weight. Uh, I'm more of a guy that wants to hunt where the deer is. I don't want to have to hunt for a tree. I'm getting in whatever I have to. If I got to hunt on the ground, I will. I don't care. I'm just whatever it takes to get it done. But I do hunt out of the saddle a little different than most guys do, though. Explain. So I do a hard lean. So you got the tree, and I'm leaned way out, like four feet away, because I'm so tall. I feel like I look like a tree branch. And I got some video footage I took of my setup last year when that buck came in at me. 
and I look exactly like a branch. And I use back cover. I don't like having cover in front of me, so I have open shooting lanes. And I don't really care about what tree I'm on. Like, if there's any cover on the tree that I'm in, I don't care about that. It's all about the backdrop for me. So when I lean out, a hard lean, I want trees behind me that got branches that are leaning out if I can. That way I'm blending in with my background and they're not really skylighting me. And then I hold my bow the whole time. And I'm actually not behind a tree. I'm on the side of it, leaning out, holding my bow. So when the buck comes in, I can just draw my bow back and use the limbs to hide my draw. And then all I got to do is shoot him. But I'm picking like a Pacific trail he's coming down. I'm not hunting areas where deer are just piling in from everywhere. I'm guessing that trail because I did that postseason scouting and I laid in a bed and I'm like, he's coming out this trail. And I need to be in that one tree out there that he can't see me at. And then I'm staying low, that nine foot. That's why I hold my bow, because if you're only nine foot off the ground, you don't want to be moving. Mm-hmm. I have everything ready to go before he gets there. So that last hour of daylight, I call it the magic hour. Like, I'm holding that bow the whole entire time. That's, that's crazy. I mean, he's he's there's a reason he's killing these deer, and we're seeing it. He is, He's definitely putting his homework into it, and I can, I can tell that. You can, tell in the, you can tell in the passion in his voice that he does it. And most people... Again, if you want to level people, if you want to do a pyramid, you're at the top. You know, most people are probably just going out over the weekends, just trying to knock down a few deer here and there. And if a good one comes by, they they're going to crack it. But I don't know of many people doing that. But even the weekend warriors can take from it examples of what he's saying. Oh yeah, you know that that's that's the thing. You're 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 a working man. I mean, yeah, you work. I work, work full time job. I don't hunt weeks on end with. With no uh, work time, I'm working four days a week, 12-hour shifts, and I'm hunting Friday through Sunday every week. How many people do you think is going to tag us in a post after this? They're laying buck beds. I want to see that. <laughs> Postseason, when you hear this episode, we're going to make it We're going to make it the Rendell Eric buck bed post. <laughs> we're going to build a calendar. You got you to send us some pictures if you if you do that, and uh, we'll, put, we'll put you on the front cover of it. Rendell. Can we get a T-shirt made with you with a guy laying in a buck bed? Dude, that'd be perfect. You should have on it. Do you even hunt beds, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. Oh, my I like goodness. That. You may have just named the episode. Do you even hunt beds, bro? That's freaking awesome. awesome. I like that. That may be. That may be. But that is one of the most interesting topics that I've ever heard. Now, do you – let's talk this because I scent control. What kind of scent control regiment do you use? Nothing. Cheetos and Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wind hunter. Yes, sir. Thermals. I'm dropping milkweed the whole time. I'm, I go out and I wind map areas and I'm wind mapping terrain features so I know if this tree line changes my wind or not. There's a lot of things that terrain does the wind that most people don't know about. And the wind for me might be different at that buck bed. That's why I like to lay in them and drop the milkweed because it might be a totally different wind direction when you get on that buck bed and that's why he's laying there and you don't know it. And he's catching you the whole time when you're coming in. So it'll teach you how to access. And I think half the time people think I'm crazy for hunting this way, but man, there's something to it because I've seen way bigger bucks since I switched to it. And I've been killing way bigger bucks than I have my whole life since I've switched to this bed hunting and hunting based on the wind and thermals and learning all these little details. Now, do you eat in the in the stand? 
Or you're not afraid to eat. You said Cheetos and Mountain Dew. I don't take water and I don't take anything with me to eat. I don't want to make any noise. I don't want to be moving around. I'm only like 80 to 100 yards away. I'm as still and quiet as possible. Sometimes I'll, I'll watch him sleep. You'll hear him make noises. He'll be head shaking. You can watch him get up and feed around. Like, it's pretty crazy when you get that close to a bedded buck, what they do in their bedroom. Can you go into a little more depth about the thermals and how they do? And I, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but just to kind of re-go over it now that deer season's coming around, what are, you, what are you looking for when that happens? So everybody knows when the sun comes up in the morning and heats the ground up, it makes the thermal rise. So the scent starts rising up. And in the afternoon when it gets shade, then that sun's going down, the scent starts dropping down to any low point. And you'll actually have thermals in farm country. There could be a couple foot elevation change or a ditch and the thermals will drop into it. And a lot of times a big buck will come right up out of that thermal point in the field where all the thermals are dropping to. So even in flat lane, you got to kind of watch your thermals a little bit because a lot of big mature bucks will enter that way because they're kind of sent checking for danger. If you're on like a field type scenario, because sometimes in Iowa with the major ag, you might have to hunt a field edge because the bedding's right there. And if there's a 200 bedded in there, I'm hunting it. Like, I don't care. I just go where the buck is. And um, hill country is a lot more consistent. So the steeper the terrain is, the more consistent the thermals are going to be. If you got like rolling hills, kind of like, I don't know, mid-southern Ohio, even kind of like in Iowa, sometimes that thermal line will change depending on like temperature, temperature, cloud cover things like that so the bedding will be harder to find because it's not as consistent but usually if i go to hill country i find the steepest part possible i'll use like a thing on a mapping app called like shaded relief it'll like colorize the terrain drops i use like cal topo and then i'll go straight to the steepest stuff because it's a uh, more patternable the bucks will be there with really defined bedding you'll find like trails they'll go around those really deep areas it's almost like a pinch point in a way you're like bottlenecking the deer down because they're not going to drop down on that steep ravine unless they have to so that can help you out it just depends on what type of terrain you're in even water has thermals yeah water pulls thermals hot water will pull it to it and then push it up into the atmosphere and cold water will hold your thermals down tight to it Moving water will move your thermals away like a lake. will just kind of hover it over the lake. And then even like high pressure, if you get a high pressure after like a storm system or something, that actually pulls your thermals really hard straight up into the atmosphere. So you can hunt some of these bedding areas on the actual wrong wind if you get high enough because the thermals are pulling up so hard. So like a thermal hub, when the wind's in there swirling like crazy after that thermal switch in the morning, you can get in there on a high pressure and actually just pull your thermal straight up and it, you won't get that big swirl in there. Then you can take advantage of that. And then um, just pay attention to the wind. There's some other tactics you can get into that I really pay attention to that most guys don't do based upon the wind, but it's not technically thermal related. Is you think those thermals or wind direction, or whatever, a lot of the times on those hills, even in the Midwest, the trail, the, the trails that the deer use will be a quarter of the way off the hill going around the side. Military or, 
that's where that wind tunnel is, where the winds swirl together, coming over the top, like where they kind of bed on that same line, like I was talking about earlier. Okay, okay. So I I, I think this may be one of your buddies, Rendell. Uh, Evan William, he said, uh, ask Rendell where a new guy should start if they want to get into this underground style of deer hunting. Yeah, he's a buddy of mine. He reached out to me after listening to one of my podcasts, and uh, I've been mentoring him a little bit, trying to help him find beds. And I think you have to throw out everything you've learned, and you cannot – you can't halfway do this style. Like you got to be no balls, no bucks, hundred percent all the way in it with everything you got. And then you got to get experience. You can't be afraid to fail. You got to get out there, find the beds, do the work. It's not for like the faint of heart that the guy just wants to go out and just have fun. I mean, I'm a grinder. I'm getting after it. You got to do things that I don't even want to do. And it's tough, but Man, when you accomplish getting a buck that style, you know you earned it. Like, just the feeling is unreal. Like, when you go in and you surgically remove a buck, man, you're just on the top <laughs> of the world. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, how many guys are getting it done like that? And um, I wouldn't be afraid to reach out to guys. You you got to talk to guys to learn things and ask them, like, really fine details. You cannot generalize this style too much. There's so many little details and the details are what kill the deer. Like, if you want to kill big bucks, you got to know the little fine details. you got to have woodsmanship, too. You can have all the gear in the world and the fanciest stuff, but if you don't have woodsmanship and you can't read what's going on in the woods, I mean, you're still not you're not going to get it done. You're just going to be having a lot of fancy gear with nothing on your wall. When you say you do things that you don't even want to do, What's what's one of the craziest stories where you've been unsuccessful, and then I want you to tell one of the crazy stories that where you've been successful. Let's see. I was on this two hundred inch buck, and there was this really steep creek that ran down the field edge that he was coming out to, and I'm hunting him late season, and um, I just below, it's below freezing, and the there's usually not water in there, but the beaver dam broke and I didn't have any waders with me and I got in the freezing water and went anyways. And then I just walked waist deep in like the end of December. I think it was all the way down this for like a mile down this creek, freezing to death. And then I got up on the bank and I had like a full body suit on one of those like heater body suit things. So I just strip off and I'm laying in this bodysuit, freezing to death, laying in there. And I'm on the ground in this like little ditch I found. It's like a little pocket that was washed out. And I'm just standing in there with my bow, trying to get him coming out across the field. So that's probably like the dumbest thing I've done because I could have got <laughs> hypothermia. <laughs> now you weren't um, successful on that one, but I was not at all. <laughs> it didn't show up. I stayed until dark, but that late season. They might not move until like the last five minutes of daylight. I just didn't get close enough. That was kind of when I was first starting a little bit in there. And you're learning like different scenarios and things where I should have been way more aggressive and pushed way closer on that deer. But when you're hunting a 200 incher, you get kind of nervous and it can rattle you until you get some experience chasing after them. I can only imagine. So <laughs> how many how many 200 inch deer have you taken, Randall? zero so far what uh, gosh still chasing <laughs> one so even yeah. e- even with this 
theory that you have uh, of of hunting them, um, and it's beyond a theory now because uh, theories are yet to be proven, and I feel like this is really a, a proven tactic. Do you feel like you're pushing the envelope maybe a little bit too much sometimes is why you haven't got that 200, or you just haven't found that deer to chase? They're they're not, they don't they're not behind every tree. Like even in Iowa, it takes a lot of work, a lot of time. Finding a two hundred on public is like finding a needle in a haystack. I mean, your odds are the odds of doing it here are greater than say like Alabama, but it's still a lot of work, and you got to find them. You got to cover a lot of ground, and those bigger deer. If another guy finds them, there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, it takes a long time to get really good at bed hunting it's not something you can just wake up the next morning and just start doing right i feel like the first ones i found i was too cautious on like i was saying i didn't transition into this just going there like a boss mode until recently when i felt like i was there and i started knocking down some bigger and bigger and bigger bucks it's like a stepping stone you know you keep going up and then um, the latest one I found, I'm just going to go in on him, everything I got, like opening day. Right when I get that wind, I'm going to be on him. And you just can't be nervous. A lot of guys are so worried about messing up and failing. They're like, oh, this buck could change my life. It's my dream. And then they get really nervous. They start um, second-guessing their setup, what they're doing. And they're like hemming and hawing. They're being too cautious. Man, you just got to roll in there like a boss. It's not really an ego, but you got to have confidence in yourself that you can get it done and just don't hold back and let the, let it, the dice roll where they roll. I mean, you can get it done or you can't. But if you don't try and do everything you can to get it done, you're never going to know. Then when you sleep at night, you're just going to dream about this buck. You're going to kick yourself in the rear end every night. Like, oh, man, I should have got closer to this deer. Then you let him know you're hunting him. Then he gets a little bit more nocturnal. And he's some deer will play the game with you and some won't. Some will leave. They'll just blow right out. And other bucks tend to just, they're going to play. They're going to tango with you. They're going to start pattering you. They'll follow your scent to see where you went, where you hung, where you set up. So that's where mobile hunting's key because you can bounce around the buck. And finding as much bedding as you can postseason, I'm like, oh, okay, west wind, he's here. North wind, he's here. South wind, he's here. Then I can start bouncing around those bedding areas. And even though I'm aggressive, guys will be like, whoa, you're just blowing them out. But I'm moving them around because he's like, I got on him in this bedding area and left my scent there. So he's like, okay, He's, he's still going to go to that other bedding on a south wind, and I'm going to be right there, right back on him, set up again. If I blow that up, the north wind bedding he's going to shift to, then I'm going to be waiting on him there. Um, and if I don't get it done, I usually sit one time. And you guys might have seen this. Like, your first sit is your best sit almost every time. And every time you sit that same tree after that, you see less and less and less deer. So I'm a first sit guy. If I don't get it done on the first sit, I'm going somewhere else and hunting a different setup or tree or whatever. I might come back and like the rut and hunt that same spot again because then you got a different movement and the buck's a little off guard then because it's been like almost a couple weeks since you were there last. And I might pop back in late season, kind of like Dan does. He might sit a bit uh, one bedding area every time. And there's some tactics too. If the big buck is in a bedding area where you can't get to because sometimes it's almost impossible to hunt 
some of these spots. I'll just go in and I'll roll around in the buck bed. I'll run around in there, leave all my scent everywhere in there, blow him out and push him into an easier bedding area where he's a little bit more vulnerable, where I can set up on him a little bit easier. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to beat it down. <laughs> it's all now, ain't it? Well, I, would you suggest to do that in, in there in the rut too? Because I am all game to do it. <laughs> I mean, you ain't got nothing to lose. You can try it. I <laughs> only do it in certain situations. You got to know the betting areas really well. Yeah, you got to you got to do the homework, the pregame yeah. homework to get to for this for this system to work and this strategy to work. You've got to do that pregame. You've got to know that territory inside and out. Let me ask you this question, Randall: If you have a bedding area and you want to, let's say you want to hunt within eighty to a hundred yards of it, um. Is there like a comfort zone that you, you that you think that deer might feel comfortable in before he would leave? Like if he was, if it was real dry and you were trying to slip in somewhere, would you try to stay a hundred yards, one hundred fifty yards, two hundred yards from that area? Do you think there's a comfort zone for those deer? I think it's that hundred yards or less mark. Well, I'm I mean, like as far as you walking in and them hearing uh, you walk, do you think there's a comfort? I'm going to use different things for that. If I know it's going to be really loud, I'm going to wait for a really windy day or it's sustainable winds to hide my sound and my movement. Or if it rains, I can just walk right in there. I might not push in on that deer until I get those little situational things because I know he's there, but I found 15 other bucks over 150 inches to hunt. So I'm going to go mess around with those bucks that are a little bit easier Mm -hmm. to hunt until I come back and get this specific situation where I can get in on this deer and feel confident where I'm not going to blow him out. Cause I feel like 200 yards is too far away to catch him in daylight. You know, that makes it interesting uh, theory to me because I always worry about blowing deer out of those bedding areas. But if you ever think about it, when you do bump a deer up, you're usually probably within 40 yards of that deer when it jumps up. Oh, yeah. I mean, they feel really safe until you – I mean, you usually see them get up. You can usually tell if it's a buck or a doe. You usually see its tail. So, I mean, you can probably stay at that 100-yard mark and outskirt that and get where you need to. What's up, Scott? He <laughs> said, He said I didn't even know Rendell even hunted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like down south, really, when you got that really thick thicket cover. Yeah. You can really get really close to those deer, even like cattail bedding, marsh stuff. Early season, there's more vegetation you can play with. CRP, I'll be out pheasant hunting and I'll walk within like 10 feet of a big buck bedded down. So I feel like you could, if I'm in that situation, I might get closer than that 100 or 80 yards. It's just however close you think you can get. If I'm hunting more open hardwoods, I'm staying way back sometimes because, you know, if you go in late season hunting in a hardwood timber that has ridges and stuff, you'll be on one ridge and the other ridge is 600 yards away and all the deer are blowing off of it. And you see the tails going. So it's a lot of really terrain based stuff. You got to really watch what's going on, the time of year you're doing, the vegetation levels, if it's open hardwoods or river bottom stuff. So everything's really situational. It's not really a generalized tactic. You really got to dive into this. And the more you do it, the more you learn. 
the more you scout, the more you learn. That's why I've dove into all these different terrain types. I want to go to any state, and I feel confident enough. I got one more bedding question, and I'm done on the bedding. You talking about summer bedding? You have a lot in the Midwest. You have a lot of soybeans and corn. Does that? And I don't. I don't know this, but I'm sure the corn and soybeans probably isn't all picked by the time opening weekend in Iowa rolls around. Is that right? That's correct. So do you do you find that those bigger bucks will stay in those soybeans or corn, and you have to find somewhere they're coming in and out of it, or do they generally have a place like a CRP field or something like that? If there's a standing corn, I find a lot of times the bucks are in the corn. Okay. Um, and I actually prefer once Iowa opens October 1st, I don't even mess with soy beans unless they're green. If they're not green, I think the bucks are already on the corn. In my opinion, in my experience, I just go straight to corn right away. And there's a lot of spots that I hunt when there's corn there, there's big bucks there. When there's not corn there, the big bucks are gone because that corn adds a lot of, uh, security cover horizontal covered people can't see into that so bucks will shift around a lot so you'll have some year-to-year movement depending on crop rotation so you got to look at that i more key in on the waterways because i feel like the waterways they bet in those uh little strips they'll be like the cornfield and there'll just be a little waterway running through the whole field it might hook into like a timbered island run back to the woodlot or something they'll use those as a highway and they'll just come right out, and sometimes they'll be bedded in there. So sometimes I'll actually hunt in the standing corn okay, and just wait for them to come through, or I'll be at the end of that waterway waiting for them in a tree. Um, but depending on the buck's personality, a lot of time the giant, giant buck's usually not in there. He's going to be in that really good bedding okay, because he wants the best bedding possible. So... It just really depends on the area, how it sets up, the personality of it. If you have the standing corn, and but you got Premier bedding up on a ridge, I think that older buck's going to be up on that ridge catching the wind and the thermals versus being down in that corn where it's a little risky for him to be, I feel like. Makes sense. Makes, it makes perfect sense. So, Rendell, let's talk bow hunting league for a second. All right. Um bow hunting league has been pretty successful for you uh you won iowa last year with your buck that you entered do you think the bow hunting league is changing the narrative for deer contests in this in this country and in what we do i think you make a lot of friendships and connections with guys it's a lot of fun camaraderie i feel like it's not all about shooting big bucks either guys are just out there having fun I've made a lot of connections with guys that I never would have met. Um, it's not really a goal of mine to win. Like if I shoot a big buck and I win, I win. It's more just fun for me, like making teams. And you can coordinate with your team members to even meet up and just hang out or do a hunt together out of state. It just adds an extra element. And it's free. Like a lot of the contests, you got to pay big money to. And you got these big private land guys out there that are killing 200s every year. So you're kind of like intimidated a little bit like oh man i'm never gonna win that you know but making it free it's for like the everyday guy like anybody can join and they give away good prizes i mean free shoulder mounts and all this year they got all those bows like who doesn't want to win a bow 
Yeah, and you don't even have to kill a big buck to win a bow. Just enter a buck, and you're automatically entered into that. And it's based on your state, too, which so guys aren't competing with me. Like, I'm competing with other guys in Iowa. Yeah. So if you got smaller deer in your state, you don't have to worry about, oh, that guy in Iowa is going to win every time because he's got giant bucks. Well, you're just competing for your own state title with guys you know or your your neighbor. There could be guys you live in the same town, but you never met him before until the bow hunting league. There's a lot of women teams opening up. I've seen some younger kids. I think it's just great for the sport of hunting. It's promoting hunting. They're doing it the right way. There's not a lot of drama or hate going on. You don't see a lot of like size bashing. They call it like every deer is a trophy to me. Like I don't, I just worry about me and do what I do just because I do it. Doesn't mean you have to do it. I'm just, happy to be out there like i'm blessed to get to go hunting like it's not all about killing deer if i don't kill a deer i don't get all i've been out of shape i got to go out in the woods and be at peace and see god's creation and you know i have somewhere to escape the daily grind of life too and you can mentor people and just man i'm almost rather see my buddies kill a deer than me uh i seen my buddy chris coon popped on here and said hello he drew iowa last year for the first time and i helped him do some scouting and he moved around a bunch and killed it during the rut like just hopped in a brand new area set up right did the scouting right and he smoked a buck on the first morning he was there but i drove three hours and i drug his deer out for him like i was pumped man i video (laughs) for him and stuff on the recovery like i was so excited for him that it wasn't about me. Like it was all about him. And I did was like, heck yeah, man, I'd rather see, I actually gave up my first week of hunting to go help him. So I didn't even start when I normally do in Iowa. Like I sacrificed my time on my giant buck to go run around with him. And that was just awesome to me. Like I didn't care. And then I came back to all my own style stuff that I scouted and I got it done in four days on the 175. So, I mean, it worked out. <laughs> Maybe you try that tactic this year. It worked out pretty good last year. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and that definitely is the mentality that we try to drive here. You know, we, we've went, Nicholas and I both have been fortunate enough to take some great deer. A lot of the team members that we've got part of our team have taken some amazing animals we don't care if you shoot a 100-inch eight-pointer. I don't care if you shoot that six-pointer you've had on camera for three years that doesn't score 60 inches. If you're happy with it, why do you have to make an excuse? It drives me crazy that a guy goes, well, I know he's not the biggest, but you know, I took him. Don't make an excuse for it. There's no need in that. If you're happy with it, be happy with it. If you want to go and chase a 180 or a 200-inch deer, Go and do it, but don't make any excuses at the end of the season. You don't have to say, well, I was chasing a 200. I I didn't shoot a 150. Okay, that was your choice. You don't have to make that excuse, and I think that's the the problem with a lot of people, but I I do love that about the communities that are being formed now. It is a lot different. You've got great shows like ours that are out there talking this topic. You've got the bow hunting league guys that are pushing it. You've got all these platforms that are trying to push it where for years – If you didn't kill the biggest buck, you weren't looked at as being that successful hunter. When in reality, I don't care what you kill as long as you're being happy and you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, it's about you. Like, it's your time, your gas money, your effort. 
your memory. Like I remember these hunts forever, even ones I'm not successful on. I don't want another guy telling me what I should be doing because it's my everything. Now, if he wants to send me a couple grand to pay for my tags, then maybe he can tell me what to do. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Until then, like, I'm going to do what I want, and I don't really care what people have to say about me. And at the end of the day, are people going to remember what you killed? Probably not, unless they're, like, good buddies or something. I can't remember half of these guys I watch on YouTube what they killed because it's I don't have that emotional attachment to that deer. It's not my adventure. Um, and I've shot smaller bucks too. I had a comment from Austin from Genesis 3D asked me what the smallest deer was I killed. And I was like, <laughs> I had to really think about that, which isn't that really that small, honestly, but, but I still hold those smaller deer with the same value that I do the 175 or the 181 because I did it the right way. I went in there and got it done. I put all the effort into it and I just rely on that. And that's everything to me. Like it doesn't always have to be a giant buck. Just what I have the ability to chase in Iowa. I mean, if I can go look for a 200, I'm going to go find one because I have that ability. But if you're in Florida and you're looking for a 200, you're probably going to go to the grave without finding one. You know, you got to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, just the way it is. Um, so just have fun. It's supposed to be fun. Like you only live once you go, you only get so many rides around the sun, man. Like just live it up. What, what zone are you in in Iowa? I ain't telling you that. <laughs> hey, I bet them South Florida hunters ain't going to be doing no bad hunting. <laughs> no, I get, hey, you be careful if you're in Florida laying down in a bed well, while laying on a rattlesnake. It made me think of it. Cause, it made me think of it because our rut's about to hit down there, so we could load a wagon and go on, boys. Yeah, that's something crazy, Rendell. So we, we got uh, in contact with a guy last year, this mm -hmm. time last year because we met him. He was leaving uh, the, like, the next week to go rut hunt in Florida. Their bucks rut in, in South Florida right now. That's crazy. I ain't heard that before. Randall's like, uh, we don't start school for another two weeks. I think I got time <laughs> yeah, to go. <laughs> I'm like, what's happening down there? Shit. It's, hot, it's hotter than the hinges of hail down here, son. You don't want to hunt down here. Yeah, that's what he said. He'd be hunting in shorts and flip-flops <laughs> yeah. for sure. It's like the guys going to Kentucky early. Like, I feel sorry for those guys. Man. Well, Two weeks, a hot mess down there. Two weeks till Tennessee opener. You got yeah. you got the Tennessee opener coming. And three in. weeks three, for three Georgia. Week. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, well, it'll be a month for Georgia from this weekend. It'll yep. be it'll be a month. You've got uh, Tennessee opening in uh, two weeks, and then you've got Kentucky opening in three weeks. It was ninety four degrees here yesterday. Come on, it's supposed to be nice this weekend, but well, no, I wouldn't do it. I, I tell you that, and that's the thing we we talked about this recently. That you could really chase the rut through the whole country if you wanted to. You can chase the rut from the time of season opens through the entire country if you wanted to. I ain't got that much drive to want to hunt myself. I mean, I love deer hunting, but Jesus, I I can't do it every single day of the week. You take the fun out of it. I'm not a rut hunter, man. I'd rather go early season every state and just get it done, man. That'd be fun to me, just bouncing around. Um. You can get burned out, but would you, wouldn't you you rather be hunting than go to work? I mean, come on. I'd rather get burned out on hunting. Than I would <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm, not saying I, I'm not saying I wouldn't want to try it. I just don't <laughs> think I would enjoy it that much. But, well, Randall, um, you I know. Got, I got something new I want to hit him with. Okay, go ahead. I got some rapid fire. I, I was going to go with a rapid fire, so go ahead. Give what, him one. Oh, was you? Yeah, go ahead. You yeah. got some? Yeah, no, go ahead. You, you fire uh, away. I got a long list. You ready? 
Yeah, you can it. just answer them as quick as you want to. Deer or turkey? Deer all day. Lock on, saddle, or tree stand? Whatever I got to use to kill a big buck. Pre-rut, rut, or post-rut? Some of these we already know. Pre and post. Bow or shotgun? Bow all day. Mossy oak or real tree? Mossy oak guy. Bottomlands, baby. Thicket <laughs> or field edge? Bedding area. Hamburger or chicken sandwich? Hamburger guy. <laughs> Mornings, midday, or evening sets? Evening, all day, every day. Uh, coffee or energy drink? Both. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Alex. Yeah, that's me. Uh, leather boots hey, or... Ever had to, you ever had to use a bathroom in a saddle? Man, it's rough. So maybe <laughs> if I'm sitting all day, I'll drink an energy drink instead of coffee. <laughs> leather boots or rubber? Leather all day. I don't care about my scent. I know how to access areas. Fixed blade or mechanical? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm a mechanical guy. What head do you shoot? I got a timeout on that one. <laughs> uh, G5 dead meats or mega meats. But you got to remember, I got a 33-inch draw. So yeah. Wow. I'm shooting like 500 grain arrows over 300 feet per second. So I got a lot of energy going behind them. I just smoke them right through the bucks. If you're a short draw guy, you might want to look at going to some fixed blades. No, but you, if you go to a mechanical, make sure it's a quality one. Don't get cheap. Corn or soybeans? Corn all day. Cold or beer or glass of whiskey? <laughs> I'm a moonshine kind of guy. There you go. Hey, I got something I'll bring you, or you come down and visit. I might know a fella that's got a stump hole we can go jump <laughs> in. <laughs> Sounds good. As long as they don't brew it in a radiator, I'm all good. <laughs> when you kill one of those big bucks, who's your first phone call to? Ooh, that's a good one. Anybody that helped me drag it out and take photos. <laughs> and, and last one, what are you most thankful for? The ability to hunt as much as I do. There you go. Well, that's a new little segment you started there, <laughs> a little rapid fire. You, you blowed me out of the water. My rapid fire was going to be a several of those. But going back to the, the draw length thing, a lot of people don't think about that when they're talking broadheads. You really need yeah. to build that kinetic energy to get a, a, a solid – Fix or a mechanical blade to go through that deer and have a have a solid chance at, at you know being successful with it. Yeah, let me say this before I get a bunch of comments on here about heavy versus light arrows and all this stuff. Use whatever you got confidence. I picked mechanicals for a reason. Um, sometimes in Iowa, you're hunting a field edge bedding area type setup. I might have to shoot 50 yards, and I'll shoot that 50, 60 yard range. And if you're using a really heavy arrow, you got a lot of arrow drop you got to compensate for. And if you're off five yards with a heavy arrow set up, you could have eight inches of drop in that five-yard increment. So you could totally miss the deer. If I'm shooting a little bit lighter, faster setup, it's flatter shooting. So my accuracy on my range doesn't have to be as good. So I don't have to range the deer every time he's moving. And I hunt public land all the time. Only pretty much. Sometimes I hunt free permission, but not often. But if I see a hole out there at 30 yards and you go lugging that heavy arrow out there, it might not go through that hole because it's rainbowing out. So it might hit above it and crash into a bunch of branches. If I have that flatter shooting arrow that's faster, it's probably going to go through that hole that I'm looking through. So I got a lot more confidence that I'm going to hit the deer. Um, I'm running... 
the new Exodus there is that you can empty these 300 spots, and they're about 500 grains. I see a camera in there, ask me. <laughs> that must so, be. So, say, that, say that again, Randall, because you kind of broke up a little bit. Uh, for arrows, yes. Cameron, he asked me what arrows I'm running. I'm yeah. running those new Exodus MMTs this year. Okay. They're uh, 300 spine. The arrows we set up uh, were about 500 grain total weight. So not super light, not super heavy, but I still have confidence in that flatter trajectory with them. They got really good veins, so they have a good rate of spin. So well, I'm shooting full length arrows too, so I'm not getting much FOC because I got that 33 inch draw. So if I wanted that FOC set up, I really got to pile on like crazy amount of weight up front. And I just don't want to do that. And my experience, accuracy is king. Like if I'm aiming on that buck where I want to and hit where I'm hitting, I'm going to blow right through them. I'm not too worried about getting up into the shoulder area. Limited amount of bows made in that 33 inch draw length what bow are you shooting so i've been using this uh off brand it was called a struthers bow kevin struthers i believe yeah. is his name kevin yeah he, yeah he designed them but i got an overdraw on there and i learned how to short draw the bow but the problem is i can't get my nose on the string so i only got one anchor point but i learned to do that for 10 years but I finally switched to a Matthew Atlas because it goes back to a 34-inch draw. So now I can run the, I can run that raw all the way back to my nose. And I use that nose button a lot. I don't use that kisser button. I really like that nose button a bunch because I feel like I get a really good anchor on that. And I ran it on my old setup too, and that helped. But I had to like put my head down a little bit and tilt it at an angle. And it kind of gives you a, a bad form, but I just learned to adjust to it. And I could shoot really well like that, but I felt like I wanted to up my game on it since they have the long draw bows now. I wanted to be, even though I didn't have a problem hitting where I wanted, I felt like I owed it to the animal like to do the best I could at that, so I switched to that long draw bow. Uh, for a release, I'm using a the True Ball Beast, I think. It's a wrist strap style. It just has a little hook. I thought about switching to a thumb release. I just haven't done it yet. I don't want to change too many new things in one season, so I might transition into that thumb release next year because I got to get used to a brand new bow. And I'm six foot eight, so that big Atlas bow, it's like almost 35 inch axle to axle. I'm already filling the gap in the tree up already, so I'm not really worried about running that big axle to axle bow. It gives you a good brace height. Brace height. And I think IBO on that at 34 inches, like 350 feet per second. So it's still going to be screaming out there at 33. So was that a Strother bow? Was it a SR 71? It was the SX rush. Yeah. It's like a 34 and three quarters too. One of the best bows ever built. A lot of people don't know that, you know, they don't know that name unless they go back to the old archery talk days and, and reading about him. Uh, designer for Bowtech. He's the one that that designed the binary cam system for Bowtech, left, started several other companies along the way. A lot of mixed emotions about him, but yeah. a, a, a great bow designer. And and hearing you say that, that's pretty cool that that's the bow you were having to shoot. You weren't necessarily choosing it. You were shooting it and now having that Atlas. That, that's a monster bow. I mean, I like a longer axle to axle, though, and I've swapped up and went this doggone Hoyt Axius, 29, 29 inches. And I've got a 30 and a half inch draw length, but that little 29 and 
in a half inch bow, man, I can shoot it great. And it blows my mind that they're building a bow with that short of an axle to axle. And it can be that accurate, like the old longer ones were. Yeah. Technology's really ramped up. I mean, it's crazy what they can do these days. And there's even more crazier stuff coming down the pipe. And some of the stuff I can't talk about just because I can't. So I can't tell you about it right now, but you'll know about it when it comes out because then I can talk about some stuff that's coming down the line. But yeah, technology's really impacted hunting, mostly in a positive way, sometimes negatively. But you got to vet stuff out too. Like if there's gimmicks out there, I kind of steer away from gimmick stuff. I use more like woodsmanship and things, but. I really like to vet things. I'm, I'm a really skeptic guy. Like even things I hear people say in podcasts, like even big name hunters, I go out and I check out the info for myself. So that's one thing I would get back into for a younger guy. Just because I say that, don't just think like it's whole, go out and find out for yourself. Like <clears throat> go lay in some beds, go push in some deer on stuff, go run mock scrapes, shoot different bows, like try Try stuff, but don't rely on the gear to kill the deer for you because you got to have skills at the end of the day. But don't be afraid to really vet people and see what they're saying, if it's true or not. I love it. Great, great advice all around, Rendell. I think you you bring a different ideal to what hunting is. You've got a different strategy than 99% of the people you're ever going to speak with when it comes to being successful but you're very humble in your approach to it. And I, I knew this was going to be a good episode, and but it, it shaped up to be a great one. Yeah, I try to be as humble as possible. Like, I'm just an everyday guy. Like, I'm nothing special about me. Like, I feel like anybody can do what I do if they put the time and the work in. And knowledge is power. I believe knowledge is king. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like nothing's a true gift. I feel like anybody can learn and just apply things. And there's always a better somebody. Like, there's better hunters out there than me. Like, never feel like you're the top dog because there's always a bigger dog than you in the woods. And it's honestly, it's not me versus you. We're both hunters. It's me versus the deer. That's my mentality. Like, when I get out of the truck, man, I want some screaming rock and roll music and I want that boxing bell to go off and man i'm just in there intense like in their face getting ready to square <laughs> off with them that's what i love uh, i'm not like worried about what me and you are doing like i'm not worried about what deer you're on what you're hunting i don't worry about guys that's another thing the young guys pressure don't worry about pressure there's a lot of my buddies that get all frazzled oh man i found a tree stand there's two trucks in the parking lot dude just go hunt, man. Like, you can't worry about that guy. Like, half the time, that guy's not hunting the right wind. He's not hunting the thermals. He's hunting some field edge somewhere. I'm blowing past that guy by, like, two miles, or I'm hanging by his pickup truck watching a booner walk by, and he's two miles deep. <laughs> I mean, you can't worry about other people. You uh, can only control what you can control. So don't get all bent out of shape and get all pissed off and worry about what's happening with other people. Just worry about you. You just got to be a boss, too. It's not really ego. You just got to have confidence that the other guy in the parking lot, like, I'm going to out-hunt that guy. Like, I don't care where he's going. I'm just going to go get get it done on my style, and I don't worry about what he's doing. Yeah, I, I got tickled just then when he said that uh, about, I'm I'm not the best hunter out there. You know that TikTok? He's, Mama said, 
there's always somebody out there batter. And I said, no, mama, somebody's got to be the baddest. <laughs> that's, that's, that's that mentality. But you made, you made a comment earlier, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it with this for, for me, that confidence is going to kill those deer for you. You're going yeah. in there with the mentality that I can kill this deer. I can make the shot. And you, you don't let the, I guess, the being in the moment affect you until it's over. You're confident yeah. in that. And I, I, we've talked about that a lot, that that confidence that you go in with and that attitude, if you have that, you're going to be successful. Now, you may not kill that target buck, but you had a successful trip because you've put everything into it and you've held nothing back. So that's a good piece of advice for people. Just just go. Just go hammer on it. Just try. You, you're never going to know if you don't try. Yeah, that's that no balls, no bucks I keep talking about. Just get in there and get it done. And if you fail, you fail. You learn something every time you're in the woods. Um, don't be surprised if you see that T-shirt come out sometime. Hey, I'm going to need you. Listen, I need you to go out in the yard, though, and lay down. And get me a profile picture I laying can. in the yard. <laughs> I'm actually working on some designs for that. No balls, no bucks. Like maybe a hat, a shirt, some arrow wraps. Let us know. I'd love to have one of those shirts. And then um, I was going to talk about something else, but you made me laugh and I got sidetracked. <laughs> Don't make you forget what it was. Oh, that what I'm doing is hard. Like, don't forget that if you're bed hunting, you might not pick the right trail every day and you're going to see less deer. Like I see way less deer than hunting a field. When you're on a field edge, you're seeing tons of does and guys are used to that. They want to see all these does and deer numbers. I don't care about that. I'm there per, for a specific reason. And that's to kill the biggest, baddest buck in the woods. So for me, I don't worry about not seeing deer. You're going to sit tons of days in a row and not see any deer sometimes because you're just hunting that one buck. But when I see that one buck, he's going to be the one I want to kill. And um, my encounters with bigger bucks went way up. And you don't, you got to have a little while on that. So set up as king because you're only going to get a handful of opportunities a season. But if you mess up, it's going to be your greatest teacher because you get sick. Like, oh, man, I get the sickest feeling ever when I do something stupid. And I'm going to tell you a story from last year i shotgun hunted iowa for the first time because i just wanted to try something i had intel on a big buck and i slipped in there midday on him and set up just like i was bow hunting him and for some reason i was climbing the tree and i wanted to get two more feet and i don't know why but there was a huge branch right above my head and then i guess i lost track of my size because i weigh like 250 but I grabbed it and pulled myself up to turn around it to put my platform and it snapped that big branch off louder than heck. And I watched like a 180 get up out of the bed and just stare at me and walk off. And I got so sick, like you idiot, like literally, like it was the dumbest thing ever. So even I do rookie mistakes, but I'm like, next time I'm going to never do that again. Cause that feeling you get like, Oh my God, that was just sickening. I did all that work. But you can turn that into a positive instead of being negative, like, oh, man, you're an idiot and blah, blah, blah. I thought that. But on the same note, I was in the right spot, the right time. My setup worked. I just made a little mistake. So even though you don't kill that buck, you're still succeeded. I hunted Missouri out of state last year, and I had two bucks come by me five minutes after shooting light was over. 
because I didn't make a couple adjustments, but I had like 60 other guys on the same property as me. And I had two bucks come by me five minutes after shooting light. And even though I didn't kill one of them, dude, I felt like a boss. Like I rolled in there. I did everything perfect. I just didn't make that little small adjustment. So I still succeeded. Like I had all those guys all over me and I still had the opportunity. I could have shot those bucks if I would have shifted like 30 yards towards my pickup truck. I was literally, you could see two roads and guys were driving by staring at me, laughing at me. But I had two shooters come by me five minutes after daylight on two, I mean, after dark on two occasions. So, I mean, it wasn't that funny to me because I was on the deer. But it's setups like that. You can't worry about it. You just got to go in there and don't care what people think about you. Rendell Eric's got ice in his veins, boys. <laughs> he don't care. He's as humble as they come. <laughs> Can we, uh, can we answer some of these questions? Because I haven't been paying too much attention. I feel like I want to do the viewers justice by I think answering we've, some of their questions. I think we've got them all. Um, I've been okay. popping them up here. Yeah, we uh, we answered everything um, that people came through about the releases. What eras are we shooting? Uh, some of you buddies put some comments on here I may not put on the screen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nah, nah, they were good. They were good. Um, and now we answered all the questions, and I think that's the biggest thing about doing these live streams. It gets people inter- engaged. It gives them an opportunity to ask a specific question that they may have. But I, I can almost guarantee you, if you'll allow us the time, you will be coming back and telling us another story. Um, I hope to one day get you down to Georgia and get you to spend the, spend the weekend with us. And you know, sp- yeah. spin it up in person. I don't know right. that I, I don't know that I have a cot quite long enough for you, but we'll find you. We'll find you a pallet or something to throw in the floor. <laughs> I'll get Benjamin to give me all his pens, and I'll go kill all the bucks he can't kill. Uh, yeah, where's Ben at? He ain't. He, if he's not, if you hear that Ben, he said it, not me. I know, but I do know where Ben lives at uh, the area, so we can go track him down. He sent me aerial maps of most of his setup, so I know right where I need to be at already. Hey, would you mind help a brother out now? I ain't too far away from just send him on over. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. He won't mind at all. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, Randall, we sure appreciate it. Um, you know, any anybody you want to shout out before we get off here? Anything you want to shout out? If anybody has any questions, hit me up on Facebook or Instagram. I'm more than willing to talk over stuff, send some video footage of different setups for help people out with like winding. I mean, I'm not greedy with all the knowledge. Like I just want people to be successful and switch into a different style. Like you don't have to do it like these rich guys are doing it on TV. You can hunt a different way and get out no matter what your budget is or anything like that. Just, just go hunt, like just get it done. And you can do that. There's a whole underground of guys out here that, are getting it done on public a totally different way than your traditional tactics that everybody teaches you and stuff. And there's nothing against those guys. Hey, I don't care how they hunt. They're happy with it. They're successful. I just, for me, I've done it the other way and it's just not really for me. So nothing against those guys. I just would rather do what I do. So I mean, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Everybody knows that. So don't be afraid to reach out to me. I mean, I'd love to come back on the show, too. Anytime you want me to pop on here, we can talk about whatever you want. I'm not shy. And then we can dig down in there. Hopefully, I got a couple bucks that we can talk about that I put down this fall. I'm going to try to do some vlogs every day I hunt, whether I see deer or not. Talk about my failures, why I didn't think it works, run through setups. 
And I'll have some other stuff that's in the works too, but I can't really talk about it right now. But when it comes out, I can let everybody know. And uh, yeah, just hit me up anytime. Anybody has anything, you can post a comment or you can hit me up in my DMs or whatever you want. Love it. Nicholas, anything from you? I'm good, brother. I can't wait to listen back to this episode and take some notes for sure. I've uh, I've learned I've learned some stuff. Definitely. I'll be laying down there, dude. I'm going to be laying right in there with them. <laughs> when they come right off them fields, I'll be laying right there with them. Oh, my goodness. Appropriate. Make sure they're appropriate pictures. I don't want to see you without <laughs> <laughs> Well, down here in Georgia, you ain't going to lay inappropriately in a bunk bed. You'll wind up with chiggers. So. Do you even bed hunt, bro? Do you even bed hunt, bro? <laughs> uh, that's that's awesome. Well, Rendell, I sure appreciate you taking the time to come on and being with us. I'm sure all the listeners here, we've had a great live stream going on here, a lot of interaction from people, and that's what we want. You know, We want to be able to introduce people to new folks. I want everyone to go over and follow along on your social media. You can find you on Instagram and Facebook. You can see everything he's got going on. I'm sure he'll be dropping some vlog videos over to his YouTube page, fired up and going on all cylinders. Um, real quick shout out to Benjamin Simon for setting this thing up, uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. You know, that's kind of the circle of, of life for what's going on in, in a lot of aspects for us with everything in the saddle hunting and and the mobile game and everybody's getting into it you're you're rocking a tethered hat you know and and adrian i know you've talked to adrian before we've had him on the show and you know it's there's a big circle of all that's going on right now and keep doing it your way man and i I can't wait to see what shakes out yeah i just want to get along with everybody and just hunt like i just care about hunting um there's real, real quick uh the amps are we still in the live stream? oh yeah we're good yeah Oh, the Amp Steel guy, shout out to him. He makes great Amp Steel products. Genesis 3D makes some awesome 3D products. Exodus Arrows, trail cameras, um, tethered saddles, platforms. They're some of my favorite stuff out there. And uh, what works for me, it might not work for you. Try different stuff out. Everybody bodies types different. I don't care if you use a tree stand, saddle, whatever. Just have fun. Get it done. And, uh... Yeah, just hunt. No boss, no bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Rock on. Well, everybody, Rendell Eric, up in Iowa, but uh, probably going to be making a trip down to Georgia for a visit soon enough. So for everyone here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for being with us tonight. Thanks for coming and listening along, entertaining uh, what you can out of it. Get some uh, notepads out. Listen to this one back. Take all the pictures you can this year laying in a buck bed, and uh, we'll uh, – We'll put them up when we can. Probably don't. Not a good idea to lay in in September in Georgia. No, I, I, no. I'm going to tell you, don't, don't do that. And don't call me and tell me, well, I got bit by a rattlesnake laying in a buck bed in Georgia. Well, <laughs> that was your own fault. Use a little common sense and woodsmanship. But I want to thank everybody being with us. Come back and be with us when you can. And remember, smile as you go, but don't forget, mount the memories. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. 
Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Are you in need of a decluttering barn or garage slap full of stuff you just don't need? Or is your construction site needing a dumpster? Give our buddy Tony at Georgia Junk and Dumpster Rental a call. With services ranging from junk removal to roll-offs, Georgia Junk is here to help with any and all removal needs. If it's time to get that parking spot back or the boat needs a place inside, Tony and his team can surely assist. Servicing Cherokee, Cobb, Bartow, and surrounding counties, give them a call at 404-406-3501 or check them out on Facebook at Georgia Junk. Clean up the yard in short order with Georgia Jones. 